great thing about having a radio program is that you can sometimes take advantage of opportunities that uh, come your way. And we have one such opportunity before us to speak with someone who's uh, visiting from the UK, involved in some interesting work over there with refugees. So I'd like to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Shamsher Sinha. Thank you. I know there's a refugee problem from a lot of places, hotspots around the world, and I know that we're not getting a lot of people here from some of them in the U.S. like we used to, but, but I gather that's, uh, that's not the case for where you are. You are getting a lot of people. It's not as many as uh, the newspapers would have you believe with the whole set of scare stories because they tend to exaggerate the amount of asylum seekers are meant to pose on I know, health services. Kind of a political hot potato, like, like immigration here. Yeah, very much a hot potato. In fact, there's a far-right party called the British National Party they, they pretty much thrive on, on, on setting up immigration as an issue to, to be tackled. Interestingly, that involves uh, incorporating or making attempts to incorporate settled Jewish populations or Irish populations or even black African populations within their support because the idea is that it's the, the immigrants rather than those settled who we should be rallying against. But that's, that's, that's a kind of tactical development that they've been working on for the last five or six years. Whereas before, they would actively politicise against those groups. Now they're not politicizing against those groups, um, at least through their media. In fact, they're trying to actively get their support in order to uh, gain more seats in the, in, in the London Assembly, which they don't have any representation in at the present time. So it's about um, just setting up recent immigrants, including those who are asylum seekers, in fact, mainly those who are asylum seekers, as the new enemy. Let's, let's talk about Iraq. Uh, I know that uh, in America there was a news article not so long ago about the fact that in spite of the great chaos of war in the country, we have not seen very many Iraqi refugees arriving here in the U.S., but it sounds like, well, Tony Blair's government uh, followed uh, George Bush's into Iraq as our primary, perhaps only, you'd say, ally in, in, in this uh, struggle. Yeah. And I gather that this is just, well, a lot of people are coming, coming over from this. You're, you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of immigrants. Perhaps not more in terms of global numbers, really, of those claiming asylum. About how many, would you say? There's 10,000 unaccompanied asylum seekers. I don't have the, the figure in my head of what the annual influx is. And even if it did, those figures are two years out. But these are 10,000 people, the unaccompanied, say, minors, not whole families. You're talking about That's a specific right. group you work with. Yeah, who are, who are separated from their parents. Maybe their parents are dead. Maybe the parents are incarcerated. Maybe they just, they just don't know where their parents are. Well, 10,000 does strike me as a, pretty, as a fairly large number if that's the only group you're talking about. That's the only people I'm talking about. But that number stayed fairly stable over the last few years, whether the proportion of it has people from Iraq, as in now, or whether as in like five years ago when there were less kids from Iraq. The influxes is related to what wars are going on. So what's the typical person you're working with? Kind of just paint a picture of what situation they're in. They'll be between 15 and 18 years old. It could be either boys or girls. They will have to remain in the UK until they're 18. Um, after they're 18, could be that their visa status is extended for another five years. It could be that they're detained and deported. And so one thing they all share in common is a big stress around what's going to happen when they're 18 because they, they're trying to build lives in the UK, but those lives are disrupted because they could well be being removed. And typically their family has been killed or, or stuck back in Iraq? Typically, the family's been killed or in prison, or, um, they, they, or sometimes they simply don't know, and they simply can't get in contact. As often happens in war. 
And is part of your role, a part of your function to try and set things up with the government so that they have a good legal status to remain? Well, I think the research can provide a strong argument for that. How would you persuade the government directly to do that? Or you persuade people uh, working in different agencies and trade unions and youth groups, whatever, to put pressure on the government? That's more likely. Um, but the research itself can be about things around, I don't know, sexual health needs or mental health needs so that they can design health and social services for this group. But the central government is quite antagonistic towards this group. Hmm. So the funds that you need and other people need to be employed to do this, where are they coming from? Universities? Uh, sometimes the local council pay the universities for me to do the research. And, and to, get, to get better acquainted with what the needs are of these people, do you have to travel to some of the countries that, uh, from which they come? It would be good if you could. And um, I have got some insight because I went to Kenya. Well, quite recently, there's been another influx of uh, Somali migrants, refugees, uh, coming over from Somalia into Kenya. And some of them make their way to East London, where I work. Are the countries involved kind of what do we think of as the British Commonwealth, or do you get it all of Africa? We, we would get all of Africa. It's not related to the countries that Britain used to um, occupy and um, exploit. It, it depends, you know, like Congo, for example, or Burundi, right. or Nigeria. Congo's been in upheaval for a long time, and so I imagine that's probably generating a lot of folks too. That's true. Asylum is often linked somewhere along the line to underdevelopment because in some countries where there's, you know, bare, that kind of bare life, bare poverty exists and people are struggling for their, their food or their clothing or whatever, sometimes there's quite often upheavals in that country. A lack of a centralized state, for example, in Somalia. And how, how about Zimbabwe? I mean, that's, that's with Robert Mugabe hanging on and all this? Or? That, there's been a fairly low influx of, uh, of asylum seekers from Zimbabwe. I think many people from Zimbabwe try and get into South Africa. Um, and South Africans were trying to tighten up on the borders, but you can get from Zimbabwe into South Africa, and there's, there, there's, there's quite a lot of holes in order for you to do that. Obviously, you have to stay out of the uh, central government's hands, or if, if you're from Somalia, you have to stay out of the UN hands if you can, because you don't want to be stuck in a UN camp for 10 years, because, you know, the UN camp may be better than a war zone, but it's, it's not a very humane way of living either. Um, you know, quite cramped, not necessarily enough food as you might want. Or, or clothing and so on. And if you're coming from Zimbabwe, similarly, you don't want to be caught by the South African government because you'll just get sent back. Do you have any sense of how many people are, are going back once they've sort of gotten, you know, in, in the UK for a while? Policies change very rapidly and continues to change very rapidly. So what happens is very arbitrary now. There is no permanent refugee status. Uh, when you're granted what's called refugee status now, you only have the permit to stay for five years. And that's discretionary. And very much on a case-by-case -case basis, it's decided whether you are returned or whether you're not. But it's very hard to come by firm figures on how many get turned away and how many do not. Because sometimes people just go underground. They, you know, they just drop off the, any trail because they're scared of being sent back. Well, much, much like here. But more being sent back every year. We know that by the government. How, how about uh, the former Yugoslavia? Is that generating a, a lot of people from crossing Europe? Not for about seven or eight years. I think maybe we're talking about 2002 and earlier than that. So lots of the people, uh, asylum seekers from Kosovo, are now, you know, they probably, the, the group I work with are all under 18s, as I said. Um, they're probably about 17 or 18 now. They'd come over when they're about 10 or younger than that. But as for young Kosovans, there's not so many now. So you've got the 15-year-old and, and uh, kids come over from Ethiopia. Do you place them in high school or what? Do they get employed or what, what do you do? 
Well, yeah, that's that's the idea. It's very hard to get a work visa. In fact, they can't they can't get a work visa, so they're relying anyway on social services for uh, benefits for 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 money. If they claim asylum, they're under eighteen. They have a right to education, and they have a right to health and social care uh, at the same level as any um, citizen has. However, the reality is in that in terms of health and social care, um, they often get turned away from doctors and hospitals because they don't have a UK passport when they're asked for a UK passport or form of ID. Clearly, they're asylum seekers who don't have a UK passport. When they provide the official documentation provided to them by the UK government, they have a UK ID card that says a, a, asylum seeker on it. And they often have also a letter from social services saying that this, this, this is a teenager, under 18, asylum seeker. They have a right to A, B, C, D, whatever the services are. Often that's not accepted as a form of ID either. Um, so they have big problems accessing health and social care and education. Schools sometimes, like, I guess, GPs and, and other social services, they try and put up various forms of institutional barriers to access. So they will find an excuse often to not provide a place for, for a young asylum seeker. It could be that, well, um, we don't have enough space in the school at the moment, or um, we're worried about the child's disciplinary record, or... Are they saying that with cause, or is it just something they're just, that's just an excuse? It's an excuse. It's an excuse. Um, there's an issue that they are concerned about, and that's um, age banding. Often kids will come over, and they, they won't have a letter saying they're 15 years old or 16 years old from, from wherever they've come from. So they get age assessed. Age assessment is not an, it's not an exact science. You can only really band. Pediatricians only really band by age for three years. So you can be 15... They band, they say you're 15, but it could be that you're 18 or it could be that you're 12. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to gauge age. Obviously, pretty tough to select which grade you're going to put the kid in. Yeah, and uh, some schools have child protection issues because they say, well, maybe this kid isn't actually 17, maybe they're 20, and we're worried about a 20-year-old being in school with minors. Well, I do want to ask you, Shamshir, about the whole political situation. Uh, I know that uh, we follow your elections, you follow our elections. What's the sense over there as we're seeing? Uh, well, for actually, the first question I have to ask is, what's the sense over there that you get from the average person about the Bush administration? I suppose uh, it, it's, it's associated with the war in Iraq. Even amongst many people who support the Conservative Party, we're not happy with the original decision to go into Iraq. And so Bush has seen that light quite negatively on the whole. He has his supporters. And, of course, uh, Tony Blair had a personal relationship with, uh, with President Bush. And now that, now that he's gone, uh, is, is the support for the war um, flagging? Um, the, the support for the war has been flagging for a long while. I mean, pretty much since the, um, since the war in Iraq started, the, 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 the support for the war has, has gone dramatically downhill. There, lots of people don't want the war at all. In fact, one of the biggest marches in, in recent times, in the past two decades, was the, was the Stop the War march, when there was over a million people marched on that, and that event in London. Yeah, we talked about that on this program, and there seemed to have been anti-war marches all over the world, and they really were not probably given the coverage that they, that they warranted here in our press. No, no, they were big. They were massive protests. Uh, shortly after the first incursion, or the first troops or whatever was sent in, there were school pupils from many schools had walked out and launched spontaneous protests. Churches and mosques objected pretty much on that day. And those were the first two groups, the churches, the mosques, 
and school kids here at Sixth Form College, which is 16 years old. So you go to it between you, when you're 16 to 18. It was those kids who'd organised protests. Um, and then about a week later, trade unions had declared against it um, and Stop the War um, protests were more formally organised. In fact, there's a Stop the War organisation you know, that you know, went into full operation and they launched a big, huge protest in London. Well, it certainly sounds like uh, you've got your work cut out for you and wish you the best in this endeavor. It's certainly a worthy cause helping out people in need. Thank you. And I think probably some of our listeners are going to want to, to, to contact you uh, to learn more about what you're up to and maybe interface with these projects. So how can they find uh, find you? Uh, well, my email address is s.sinha at lsbu.ac.uk, which is spelled s.sin. H A at L S B U dot A C dot U K. Dr. Shamsher Sinha works in the UK providing social services to various youth which have been separated from their families in uh, hotspots around the world. That's it for today's program. Our thanks go to Dr. Shamshir Sinha as well as Captain Brent Stangland. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name. If you come around here, I'll make them all day. I get one down in a second if you wait. Sometimes I think sitting on trains. Every step I get to